It got to the point where it was Sunday morning at 6 a.m. and I had to make a decision. And the decision I had to make was whether I was going to pursue God anymore or not. See, I had been stuck in this cycle. This cycle of sin that I couldn't get out of. Here's how it would happen. I would come to a service similar to this one. And I would be inspired and fired up. I would leave and I would say, I'm never going to do that sin again. Anybody familiar with that sin? Does anybody have that sin in your life sometimes, right? It's that, that sin is that one. It's your darling sin. It's the sin that you want to um, uh, avoid but can't seem to stop doing. So I, at Sunday, I would leave, and I would go, I'll never do that sin again. And Monday, I was convinced that I wouldn't do the sin. And on Tuesday, I was pretty convinced I wasn't going to do it. And then on Wednesday, I was hoping I wouldn't do it again. And then Thursday, I was thinking about it. And then Friday was a mess, and then Saturday was off to the races. It was that sin. It was that sin. And I was sitting there on Sunday morning, and, and really what I would do is I would go to a service in the morning, very early in the morning, and my wife would come later on in the afternoon because I had so much noise in my head, I couldn't hear the service. It took me two times to get the message. But I had to make the decision that morning whether I was going to pursue Christ. Sin does that. Sin divorces you from the only one who could help. Sin separates you from the only one who could make sense of the messed upness of our lives. That's what sin does. And that's why today we're starting a brand new series, and it's called Aftermath. And what we're doing is we're talking about what do we do after we've blown it, after we've messed up, after we've gone in the wrong direction, how do we respond? What do we do when we've messed up? You see, because I've discovered, especially after having pastored um, for the last 16 years, that there are certain obvious responses that people have towards sin. I recognized that I wasn't the only one who had struggled with sin and was about to walk away from Christ. Some of you are right there right now. And some of you, you're on your way. So this message is for those of us who want to walk in Christ, grow in Christ, and know that not every moment is going to be filled with perfection. Now here's the big deal. That's that's right there, what I just said, not every moment in the Christian life is going to be filled with perfection. Listen to me. That might be a newsflash for some of you. Some of you actually think that because you come to Christ, you'll never sin in that way ever again. I'm telling you, sometimes prodigals, after they come home, sometimes they go back to the pigsty. Sometimes prodigals, don't stay home. Sometimes prodigals go back to the mess and the sin that they were so desperate to get away from. 
That's why we need this series. We need this series because our intimacy with God is at stake. You see, there's an intimacy that we want to have with God, but the fact is, is that when we sin, it tends to break that intimacy. Not because God wants nothing to do with us, but because we decide we want nothing from God or nothing to do with God. Why is it? Think about this. The Christian message is that you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you, and he did so. And that you're so, that even though you're this bad, Jesus was glad to die for you. Then why is it that when we sin, we want to run away from God? There are emotions that come up. Emotions like shame. We go, no, 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 I don't want to go. As if the only place that God can see you is in this room. But that's the, that's the temptation. The temptation. I mean, my goodness. I've run across people, and especially in our church, you know, some people have come from addicted backgrounds, and, you know, they go to using again, and, I, I say, and they go, oh, Edwin, I can't go back there. I go, why? He says, man, I'm still using. I don't, listen, listen, listen. The very best place to nod out is at our service, so you know. <laughs> it's the absolute best place to nod out. Some of you are experimenting with that right now. It's fine. It's okay. I don't mind. I'm not mad. Here's my point. Here's my point. Listen, listen. God knows you're messed up. You're a mess. Oh my gosh, you're a mess. Oh my gosh, I'm a mess. God knows that about us. And he goes, I can't bear to be away from you. I love you. And so we're starting this series called Aftermath. I pray that you stay on, but I want you to know that our intimacy is at stake. Also, our joy is at stake. Because I want you to know that when, it's, that when it's a choice between your sin and God, and you choose sin, oh my, the pain that comes from that. Because whenever you choose another Jesus, in other words, another Savior, because that's all sin is, is another Savior. This guy will save me from my loneliness, so I choose sinning with him rather than asking Jesus to heal me of my loneliness. This girl will give me all that I'm looking for, make me feel beautiful and wonderful, and, and for, well, because I'm looking for my value and my identity in her rather than Jesus. This job will give me all the security and the finances, or this business will give me all the security and the finances that I need. Therefore, I'd, I'd say no to Jesus before... I say no to the business. You see, all sin is are other tiny saviors promising us the world, not delivering a block, making sure that all we end up with is pain and regret. And you don't need a lesson on that, do you? You and I have enough sin in our lives that we don't need a lesson on what the consequences of sin is. So this series is not going to be what are the consequences of sin? This sin is not even going to be how to avoid sin. This, is going to, this, this series is going to be now that you sinned. What now? What are we going to do now? So is this, we're fighting for intimacy with God. We're fighting for the joy in our lives. And we're fighting for faith. Because I'm telling you, God, guys, sin has a way 
of amplifying our doubts. Sin has a way of growing our doubts. Here's how it works. Here's how it happens. I'm, I, I have doubts and questions about God. And let me just tell you about doubts. Can I help you out a little bit? Would you just do yourself a favor? Would you believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts? Most of us, what we wound up doing is when we get doubts, we start to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. But I'm telling you that when your doubts come, and they will come, I promise. That's why they call it faith and not math. There's, a, there's a, a level where we have to go, I will trust. So doubt will come. But when doubt comes, doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. Don't believe your doubts and doubt your beliefs. Well, that's what happens. A little doubt comes in and it says, is Jesus thing really true? And I don't know. Maybe he's not. Well, you know, maybe this is just the way I was raised. Or maybe the doubts start creeping in. Is the Bible really true? You know, I was on the history channel. And then what happens is the next step is you get on the history channel, right? It's like Easter time, right? (laughs) Every time. The real Jesus. Uh, Dude, dude, that program has already been written. We've already read it. Here's the, you want to know about the real Jesus? It's right here in your scriptures. The, the, the real Jesus. And then you go, oh my gosh. And then you go to class, and a friend of yours shares their doubts. And you're like, yeah, you know me too. And then the professor, maybe you're in college, and the professor says, you know, such and such and such and such. And you go, yeah, because he's the professor, and he's supposed to know. And of course he knows everything. And so your doubts start to grow, and then temptation starts to come in. As your doubts grow, Satan is a genius about coordination. You do know this, right? Satan is not creative. He's just consistent. Satan comes in and brings just your flavor. I don't know what your flavor is. Is it a dress? Is it a jacket? Is it a coat? Is it a food? Is it a car? Is it a person? What's your flavor? I don't know. You know. You know it's the thing that you run to when you're stressed. Could be Marlboro or clubs. Could be anything. I don't know. What's your? How do you spell relief? (laughs) Brings your flavor. Satan brings your flavor. You, You understand what I'm saying, right? So Satan brings your flavor and and you go, nah, man, if I do this, you know, it's going to be bad, you know, like the, the roof's going to explode and the heavens are going to open up and God is going to come down with a lightning bolt. I can't do this, right? But you know what happens, right? You do it. And then you walk out the room or you look out the window and the clouds don't open up and the roof doesn't explode and you feel terrible. You go, oh, man, I'm never going to do that again. That was terrible. I'm never going to do that again. That was terrible. I'm never going to do that again. That was terrible. How did I get here again? And then you get here again, and here's what happens. Listen, beloved, this this is only funny when I'm saying it. I promise you. When you're living through this, it is a nightmare. Man, tears. I mean, oh my goodness. And then you don't look out the window to see if the clouds are parting. Then it just becomes a part of your life. 
then it's like, then at that point, now you, you hear the professor again. Now you uh, read the article in New York Times. Now you, now there is no God. Oh, yeah, right. Why didn't I figure this out before? Because that's the way it happens. It, it, it since separates you, doubts, questions, adds more, brings sin, closes the deal. That's how it works. So I want to help you because some of us, some of us are in this room and you are walking with Christ powerfully. You were, you were loving Jesus and then sin broke your heart. And you felt such great shame and sorrow that you said, well, I can't go back there. And now you're back after 15 years. My job today is to help lessen that gap by a lot. I don't want you to waste your next 15 years. Only to find out that he was here. Not, not in this room. I mean, with you, waiting for you the whole time. So it's a brand new series called Aftermath. Now, here's the deal. Please do not miss a week of this series. It's going to be a three-week series. Don't miss a week. Don't go, oh, but we got to put, uh, you know, we got to do the laundry. and Do your laundry some other day. Do the compra some other day. In other words, go shopping some other day for you Anglos in the room. Okay. Um, decide in your mind that you're just going to come. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to open up the text, and I'm not going to answer all of your questions. Because the way we do it here is that we do an introduction, and then we build. So for three weeks, we're going to be building on this concept of aftermath, what to do after you've messed up. And so if you want to go, oh, I don't feel like I have all my questions answered, that's cool. Come back next week. And then by the time we're done with the series, you should have an idea of how to respond. But hopefully I'll be helpful to you today. God knows, God really does know that every one of us are going to mess up from time to time, that we're going to find ourselves in sin. And so he's given us so many texts, but I thought it would be appropriate to start with the very first sin that God speaks about. The very first sin. We could have gone on a hundred different places. Today, we're going to start with the very first one, because I think it's instructive, and it tells us how people fall into sin, and then what God's response is, and I think that might be helpful for us. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. If you have your bulletins, and you don't have your Bibles, we've thought of you. The scriptures are in your bulletin, so you can open it up, circle, underline, make notes to yourself. It's fine. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. We have, a, we have a tradition in our church to stand at the reading of God's Word. So would you stand with me? And the reason is, is because we really reverence God's Word. We reverence it more than our opinions. So we stand. On the count of three, I want us all to read. Now, well, actually, let me, let me just give you some. Some of you never, I realize this. Some of you have never been to church or you don't know anything about Okay, so Genesis chapter 3 is where everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. Like, there, it's like everything is perfect till Genesis chapter 3, right? It takes man 
three chapters in the Bible to mess everything up, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. And he wasn't even there for the first, like, chapter and a half, all right? So, you know, it's, so it doesn't, takes us no time to mess everything up. So God has created the universe. Now, here's the deal. Some of you, you go, oh, you know, I went to college. This is a myth. This doesn't make, you know, this is not true. Listen, you don't even have to, be, I believe it's true, but you don't have to believe it's true to, um, to learn a lot from this. So don't let that be a barrier to you. There is a lot of lesson to be learned here. So if you're an atheist, if you're a doubter, if, you're, if you uh, uh, don't believe in uh, uh, an actual Adam and Eve, don't let that uh, fret with you. Just there's a powerful, powerful lesson that God wants us to know, both about sin and his response to it. So let's read the text together. We're going to read in a nice, loud voice on a count of three. One, two, three. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also saved some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid them from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called, where are you? This is God's word. Please have a seat. Okay. This is genius. What we're looking at here is a level of genius that I cannot understand fully. I was tempted. I was tempted to make just Genesis chapter 3 a four-week series. There's so much here. Here we have Man in perfection, in a garden that will give him all of his delights, that will deliver to him all that he needs, desires, and could ever want. Here is the perfect atmosphere and circumstance. When I say man, I mean mankind. I don't mean man-male, I mean mankind. So whenever you hear me say man today, hear me, you'll hear me say man, woman, you'll hear me say mankind. That's, I want you to think that. That is where man finds himself. And it's here where Eve has a conversation with the serpent. Satan is talking through the serpent. And there's a conversation that starts here. By the way, that's pretty informative. Don't have conversations with the devil. For some of you, that is really important. Have you ever had like an argument in your mind? And like you're winning, and like everything is going right, right, and all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. That's a bad place to be. All right. So she, so here's Eve. She's having a discussion, and the first thing that the serpent, Satan speaks through the serpent, is, did God really say? Makes her start questioning God's word. By the way, that's always where it starts. It's always where it starts. Satan is not going to come to you with crack or men or sex or drugs or money. Or Satan's going to come with you with first doubting. If you're in Christ, Satan's going to come to you with doubting God's word. Always. They have a conversation and it's so rich. It's so 
powerful. It has so much symbolism to it that we don't have a whole lot of time to discuss it, but know that they have a conversation where she finally is convinced that she knows better than God. Which, by the way, is what sin is. And then we find, him, we find man in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, this is after her conversation with Satan, and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Look at me. That's the regression of sin. That's, those are the steps. If you want steps to sin, there it is. She saw, she desired, she took, and then ate. Those are the four steps of sin. Any place, any time, you will see. If you see a person fall into sin, it will be these four steps. She saw, man, that looks good. Now, interestingly enough, she uses the same word that God uses. Remember when it said, God saw and said it was good. She uses the same words. She saw that it was good. But she didn't see it was good like God saw it was good in that it was a delight, a part of his creation. She saw it as, no, 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 this will give me something other than Jesus. This will give me something other than God. She saw that it was good. So you see, then she what? Was pleasing to the eye. She saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She saw, thought about how it would please her, then started to ruminate on it. Oh, this is, this is going to give me what I want. Because that's what happens. When you see, so here's what happens, right? You're at the workplace. And, oh, look, there's a new person there. And so you walk around. Now, all of a sudden, you got to walk that way to, to get to the cafeteria or to get downstairs, right? So what happens? You see, you go, wow. And then you start to desire. Go, man, wouldn't it be great? What the? Thoughts and fantasies. You're not fighting thoughts and fantasies at this point. You're enjoying them. You, you see that it's, oh, this is good. It's pleasing to the eye. Oh, my gosh, that's, that's very desirable to me. It's also desirable for gaining wisdom. That will give me what I want. And so you might be married. And you go, but, but, but my wife doesn't give me what I want. My, my husband doesn't give me what I want. Oh, but you know what will. Cubicle girl will. Cubicle boy will. They'll get, it's desirable because it'll give me, you know why I desire it? Because it'll give me what I want. You see, they are struggling in the garden. Man is struggling in the garden. He's fighting but he's going in the wrong direction. He's focusing and meditating and he's thinking about how good this is all going to be. You wonder why you fall into that sin over and over again? Let me give you a clue. 
It's because you desire it. It's because you think about it. You long for it. Here's what I know about you, right? And we, some of us, we haven't physically met like one-on-one. Here's what I know about you. You only do what you want. You only do what you want. You don't do what you don't want. You go, oh, but I hate my job. I go, how do you feel about the check? Oh, well, I need the check. So Oh, so you only do what you want. And so when you desire and when you ruminate and when you let that sort of sink into your brain, there's only one result that can come from that. You see it there? She took and ate. That's where that boils down. After, listen, here's what happens. Have have you ever heard of anybody, um, like, within our context, right, some of us have been in 12-step meetings where we've seen other people relapse after years of sobriety or clean time, depending on what fellowship you go to. After years of that, they run out. You know what happens, right? You go, what happened? They go, well, and they'll say things like, I stopped making meetings. They'll say things like, I stopped doing, stopped doing, stopped doing. But let me tell you what really happened. What really happened is that they saw something that was more interesting. They desired it and meditated on it. Then they thought it would give them what they wanted. And then they satisfied themselves with it. They took and ate. It's always that way. Now, what you want to do right now is you want to ask yourself, where am I? Am I just being tempted by seeing something? Am I starting to think about how something will please me that's not of God? Am I desiring and fantasizing and growing in that affection? Or have I already taken and am taking and plan on taking again? I don't know where you are. You do. That's what man does. She also, she doesn't stop there because because sin enjoys company. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So this is not just the woman. And what's very sad about this is that the woman, she was deceived. That was the Bible. That's what the Bible says. The woman was hoodwinked. She was deceived. The man, he fell willingly. And that's where we are in the sin spectrum, right? Some of us, we had no idea. We were tricked. Maybe something bad happened when we were younger and we got into a a habit or a lifestyle that we just didn't know what we were getting into. Hoodwinked. But some of us, There's no surprise here. Some of us, you know, we know where our raised voice is going to lead us. We know where the compulsive shopping is going to lead us. We know where the cutting ourselves is going to lead us. We know where the, listen, we know, and we go willingly. But that's what happened. She was seduced or she was deceived. Man, the man fell willingly. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, I want you to see something. When sin 
takes place in your life, the first thing to come along is shame. Shame is what starts to take over. Shame is what starts to build on our lives. So they sin, and the first thing that they see is something they already saw before. In the very beginning, if you go to chapter 2, the text says, and they saw each other naked, and they were unashamed. But now they see themselves naked, and what do they do? They try to cover themselves. Look. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves, coverings for themselves. And this is the part. Now, okay, so you get the setting. They've blown it. They've had many opportunities. They've been given everything by God and decided to take the one thing that they were told not to take. And let me just answer this question really fast for some of you because you go, hey man, why did God even have to put that rule down? And you know, that's not fair. Why did he have to put, okay, so let me just, let me just kind of speak to that for a second. Um, rules are an indication of authority and ownership, right? So for instance, how many of you have kids? Raise your hands. Okay, some of you have kids. Now keep your hands up. Keep your hand. How many of you, okay, no, actually put your hands down. Uh, those of you who have kids, how many of you have rules for your kids, right? Okay, that's fantastic. Now put your hands down. How many of you have rules for my kids? Not many, right? I got rules for my kids. I don't got rules for your kids, right? You know why? Because my kids are mine. Your kids are yours. You have pets. Anybody have pets? You got rules for your pets? Do you got rules for anybody else's pets? Not unless they come into your house. You ain't got no rules. Listen, if, if, you're, if you go to your friend's house and you see their pet chewing on their shoe, you're like, glad you don't live with me. You're not making rules. You're not like spanking the dog. Or you're not like correcting the dog, putting him in the cage. You know why? Because rules are a symbol of authority. God could have made a million rules. God did not. The more rules you have, the less relationship you have. But God, in a symbol, hey, listen, this is what God is doing. Guys, I'm giving you everything. Think about what God is giving them, right? Every one of the villain, you know, like the villain schemes that you see on all the like, um, espionage movies, right? The villain wants to what? Take over the world, right? God gave it to him. There was no villains here. God said, take over the world. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it all in your hands. Like everything, every beast, every flower, every fish, it's all under your authority. Even Adam, he tells Adam to name the animals because you only name what you possess or what you're owner of or what you have authority over, right? You name your kids, you don't name my kids. You name your pets, you don't name my pets. Because when you have an authority, so God is striking, and he, what he does is he makes this whole big earth and he goes, oh, by the way, there's this tree in Istanbul. Don't take anything from the tree, okay? Like, oh, you, you're in Brooklyn? Okay, yeah. If you ever go to Istanbul, there's this little neighborhood in this little corner. Do me a favor. Don't pick from it. You can pick from everything else. Do whatever you want. Swim the, man, you could, you could sail the seven oceans, man. You could, you, could, you could do whatever you want. Oh, but this one thing don't do. This does not seem unreasonable to me. I don't know what that seems like to you. 
This does not seem like, oh, God, you're always trying to keep us from having fun. This is not that. (laughs) This is God going, beloved, I love you. And our lives are going to be lived through relationship. We know this because God is walking in the cool of the day. You ever heard that phrase? Hey, that person walks with God. It doesn't mean that God is has uh, uh, feet stomping throughout grass. What it does mean is that God was used to being intimate with them. And they were used to being intimate with God. And in the cool of the day, with God's only rule that they decided to break, God walks and he's still, by the way, did God know that they had sinned? You bet. You bet. This wasn't, this was, this, God didn't go like, oh, no. That's not how God responded. God knew what had happened. But this is, this is the lesson that we're learning. Beloved, listen to me. We're going the long way around the barn, but you got to hear this. Some of you, you're like, oh man, I really need to address this. Listen, after you've blown it, here, the man and his wife, mankind, leaves together. I'm sorry. Uh, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's our response. You know how you and I react to sin? We hide. We run. We get away. We We flee. I'm telling you, this is the worst idea. And notice that they flee from God. They hide from God among the very trees that God gave them for their joy. They literally take the gifts of God to hide from God. Oh, how I've seen this over and over again. Great job. Wonderful pay. Are you hiding from God with that job? Fantastic spouse, wonderful kids. Are you hiding from God with that family? Great body, physical fitness is important, but are you hiding from God by focusing too much on your physical fitness? Wonderful toys that you possess, but are you spending so much time on your things? Are you hiding from God with the gifts from God. That's what they did, and that's what we all do when we sin. It's tragic, isn't it? But listen to me. This is where we all find ourselves. But the Lord, and I'm so grateful for this next sentence, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, here's what you have to know. Whenever God asks a question in Scripture, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God asks hundreds of questions in Scripture, and you have to answer. What? So hold, hold on one second. Let me ask. Where are you? Where are you? Are you getting your identity from sin? Where are you? 
Are you satisfied with Sunday service Christianity? Where are you? Have you been coming around and felt the tug of Jesus but not committed to Christ? Where are you? Are you so full of shame that this is the last service you're going to come to because you go, I can't, I can't. I feel so ashamed. Where are you? Are you so consumed with sin that you're just focusing on what you're going to do next rather than repenting and running to Jesus? Where are you? The person sitting in your seat. The person dealing with your temptations. The person addressing your hang-ups and sins. Where are you? I want you to notice what happens after the fall. You see it in verse 9. But then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was, I'm sorry, in verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God's response to our sin is to pursue. And that's our big idea for today. When you seek sin, God seeks to save. When you seek something that'll be another kind of savior, God seeks to save. When you want some other savior other than Jesus, God seeks to save. You think, God, no, 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 God is moving in to punish. God, no, 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 God, God is moving in to redeem. God is, he's, he's moving in to say, gotcha. No, he's moving in to say, gotcha. You think he's moving in to say, oh, no, 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 no. Now it's on. Now you're in trouble. And God is saying, now you know. Now I'll help you. God moves in. He seeks to save that which is lost. That's our first lesson of aftermath, that when we seek sin, God seeks to save. I want you to respond to God with a response of dependence on him. Some of you are in sin. Now, I want you to see that in here, there's another garden that I want to talk to you about before we close. That garden happened Years and years after, it, Jesus flips the curse that happened in the first garden. You see, in the first garden, man struggled in the garden with sin. We see that in his conversing with Satan. We see that in his uh, grabbing for the forbidden fruit. We see that in the first garden, man struggled in the garden with sin. But in the second garden, Jesus struggled in the garden against sin. We see him sweating drops of blood. We see the same Satan whispering to him, tempting him. He would have none of it. Jesus flips the curse. In the first garden, man wanted to take God's place. Remember? Remember what Satan said? You will not surely die. You'll become like God, knowing good and evil. 
In the first garden, man wanted to take God's place with what was on the tree. In the second garden, Jesus took man's place on the tree. God wants you, loves you, pursues you. In the first garden, we see that man used fig leaves to cover up their shame. And we see in the second garden that Jesus was stripped to take on our shame. You see, we have a God. You've sinned. You've blown it. Listen to me. You're worse than you think. And you have a God that pursues. You think that the disease that you have is God's punishment. Listen to me. God's pursuing not punishing. God is seeking you, even in your sin. God, don't say no to that. Don't say no. I was preparing for this sermon, and I found out about another guy who came to this church Another guy. When I tell you that there's been more guys than I can remember, there's been more guys than I can remember. People who've lived in my home, who were doing great, who sinned and didn't know what to do after they sinned. I could tell you stories about people being found in hotel rooms. I can tell you stories about people being found frozen. I can tell you stories about people jumping in front of trains while they were actively using. Who had once come here and they decided that because they sinned, that God would have nothing to do with it. That because they sinned, God would move to punish. And they did not realize that God was moving in to redeem. God was not looking to punish. God was looking to pursue. Beloved, turn to him. This week, I heard another story. His family told him, listen, we know you used, come back. He goes, no, 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 I just feel so ashamed. And he used and he overdosed and died. I don't want that for you. Could you imagine? What would it be like? What would it be like if you knew that Jesus loved you, not based on what you did, but based on what Jesus has already done on the cross, what would that be like? I'm telling you, those of you who walk around with depression, many of you, many of you, your depression would go because all of your depression is linked to shame. Man, what would it be like? What would it be like if you could, if when people came up to you and said, you know, I'm really disappointed in you and you really messed up this time and you could go, you know, I'm disappointed in myself. I agree. And God is going to pursue me even in my mess. Even in the aftermath. What if, what if, what if shame didn't dictate every decision that you made? And fear wasn't the Lord of every decision you had to make. What if? What if you could walk with joy and gladness and peace? Because you know that even at your worst, God is at his best. What would it be like? I'm telling you, it would change everything.
change everything. I don't want you to miss the rest of this series. But here's what I want you to know. God is pursuing. God is seeking. In your sin, God will seek you. And I don't want you to run from that truth. So come next week. Bring your friends. But for right now, where are you? Where are you? God has been asking that question for you for years. Turn back to him. So usually what we do is we have this like sort of um, come to Jesus call where we go, hey, if you've never received Christ, we want you to receive Christ. And you can do that symbolically by standing and saying, yes, I'm going to receive Christ. Today is going to be a little bit different. Today I'm talking to Christians. You've blown it. You've messed up. Nobody else knows, or maybe one or two people, but you're living in hiding, you're living in shame, you're living in secrets. Today, today, you can hear that God is pursuing you. Today, you can know that God is after you. So if you've sensed that you're far from God, if you sense, you know, you've run into sin and you're moving into secrets. But you've heard today that God is pursuing sinners. I want you to respond. In a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand, to say, you know what, Jesus, no more secrets, no more running. This is an opportunity for you to go, okay, I, I acknowledge you. I'm not going to hide behind the gifts that you've given me. I'm not going to hide behind my clean time. I'm not going to hide behind my sobriety. I'm not going to hide behind the gifts and the family. I'm not going to hide behind my health. I'm not going to hide behind any of that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hide behind a fake face and a fake smile and a, a fake, I'm fine. No. Today's the day for you to say, you know what, Jesus? You're pursuing me. I want to be found by you. I want to rest in you. I want to know you. So, in 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I've found myself in sin, but I know now that you're pursuing me, and I want to be found by you. This is your time. Five, four, three, two, one. Stand. Great. Yeah, let me pray for you. Yeah. yeah. Listen, listen. Yeah. Listen. Whatever the secrets are, God knows. Whatever the sins are, God knows. And now is an opportunity. Since you've stood, you can go, okay, no more secrets. Tell someone that you love. Tell, you know, go confess to Christ. It's an opportunity for you to know that there's no, you don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for my sisters. Oh, Lord. I pray, oh God, that you would, by your mighty hand, remind them of your love. Remind them that you desire to be with them. Remind them, Lord, that while they're covering themselves up, you 
were laid bare on the tree. Remind them, O God, that while they want to take the place of God, remind them that Jesus took the place of man. Remind them, O God, that their sin is no match for your love. Remind them of this, O God. And God, I I pray that as sin would want nothing more than to take hold of their heart, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would leave them broken, give them a person to confess to, help them to walk in the light as you are in the light, confessing and praying, being broken before you, obeying you as you guide and lead, but never forgetting that they don't have to run away, they don't have to walk in shame. They can walk in the newness of Christ. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would the rest of you stand with us? Yeah. Hopefully, um, not hopefully, I look forward to seeing you. Listen to me, guys. We have part two next week. It's going to be very, very powerful. And we're going to see what repentance looks like. And it's going to be really good for all of us. So I want us to come, bring a friend. It's going to be a very valuable series for all of us. So... Let's pray and ask Jesus for help. Father, we thank you for the message that you've given us today. We thank you, Lord, that you've shared with us in your word your heart for sinners. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in that truth. For you are a good and great God, able to take care of our sin and to pursue us. Lord, help us to pursue you back. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.